Hello, and welcome to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. My name is Jamie Edwards, and I'm a full-time professional endurance coach, age group triathlete, and triathlon fan. The Diary of an Age Grouper podcast is all about content relevant to age groupers. We'll talk to athletes, coaches, and experts who walk the walk. In this episode of the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast, we talk to Kate Baldwin. Kate is an expert in the field of strength and conditioning for endurance athletes. She has a double degree in physiotherapy and sports science and completed a PhD looking at the influence of strength training on economy in long-distance triathletes. She's clearly very passionate about this subject and works with a range of endurance athletes through her business, Endurance Movement, with her husband, Nick. They have just launched a new strength training app, Valaire, with professional athlete, Joe Skipper. We had a lot of fun recording this, and it is a fantastic resource for all athletes and coaches when it comes to strength training for endurance performance. Make sure to have your pen and paper ready. Enjoy. Hey, thanks for joining us. It's pretty safe to say you're an expert in this field. Where does the passion for strength and conditioning come from? Um, do you know, Jamie, I've always loved strength and conditioning. Even I remember even through high school, I would always go to the gym after school. I got a gym membership for like my 15th birthday. Um, and I just always enjoyed going to the gym as well as running and doing endurance sports. Um, I really have no idea where it came from, but I've just enjoyed strength training for as long as I can remember. And then, yeah, that kind of led me into my my career, I guess. And you did ended up uh, doing a double degree in physiotherapy and exercise and sports science. And then you did a PhD, which was almost basically a PhD for strength training and triathletes. And it wasn't quite called that, but essentially that's the summary of it. What were the, can yeah. you give us a summary of the main findings from that PhD? Yeah. So we did a six month strength training intervention in long distance triathletes, um, most of them being age groupers. Um, and we did a variety of different exercises and we tested swim time, cycling economy and running economy in a simulated triathlon. So to replicate the demands of triathlon. And what we found was that from pre to post um, the intervention, the group that did the strength training significantly improved their cycling and their running economy. And these improvements were greater than what's called the smallest worthwhile change or the typical error. So that means that they were meaningful changes that should make a difference when it actually comes to performance on race day. Um, so the control group that didn't do the strength training didn't see these improvements and they the groups did have um, the same training volumes in terms of endurance training and overall load. Um, so we proposed that that was from the strength training that significantly improved their cycling and their running economy. So that was that was pretty cool findings. Yeah, very good for all of us. Was there anything that you found that surprised you that you didn't expect? Um, well, interestingly, so we split the six months into two three-month blocks. And the start, we did moderate load strength training. And then for the second block, we did the heavy load strength training. And this is maybe not surprising to me, um, but in, in general, one of the big key findings was that the strength training group only improved their running economy with the heavy load strength training, not the moderate load. Um, and we generally, we didn't measure the mechanism of how they improve their economy. But what we hypothesized 
hypothesized based off our study and off previous ones was that you need those heavier loads of strength training to do things like improve overall muscular strength and muscular tenderness stiffness so I think one of the big findings was that to make a really big difference in performance you often need those heavier loads as well so that was probably one of the the big key ones that we did find that was really quite interesting and you mentioned there wasn't much change in the swimming is that because you focused on lower body exercises or was there something yeah. else that might have contributed to that i do think that in hindsight i really did maybe put too much lower limb exercises in there and not enough upper body but i do think too that with swimming so first of all we measured swim time we didn't do swim economy just because of logistics um and budget restraints but i do think that swimming is also so much technique based as well um you know when it really comes to improving your swim performance like I always say to people you can't really muscle your way through a swim you can be really really strong but if you don't have that technique there and a lot of the training load when it comes to improving your swim time um you're not really going to see those those improvements quite so much so I do think it was a combination of maybe we didn't give that athletes the most optimal swim based exercises um and i do think that there's so much more that contributes to swim performance over bike and run like with bike and run there's not a huge amount of technique involved but with swim there really is so i do think that that potentially contributed as well yeah that makes sense and you mentioned mm-hmm. a couple already but just to start us off what are the main benefits of strength training for endurance so athletes I- Yeah, I always say that strength training, like your two big things, and they do go hand in hand, is that your strength training can help improve performance. So obviously it can improve your bike and your run performance. There are different studies that show that it can improve your swim performance as well. But your second big one is your injury prevention. And then, of course, when you minimize your injury risk, that's going to then turn into performance improvements as well. But generally how your strength training can help minimize injuries is that your strength training just helps improve your body's ability to tolerate load so it improves your muscles ability to tolerate load your tendons your bones you can help minimize those you know stress responses and those stress fractures um it can help minimize your risk of your tendinopathies it can help minimize your muscular strains so when you put those two things together they really help improve your overall performance um so it's really that twofold of yeah performance injury prevention but put them together it's like extra performance benefits so whenever people ask me I'm like it's one of those two and then especially when I chat to endurance athletes they go oh injury prevention that's me and that's most endurance athletes especially triathletes that I chat to you know we're a little bit more susceptible to injuries given the high training volumes that we do and what do what are the biggest mistakes you see people making with their strength training other than not doing it at all yeah yeah that's number one not doing it Um, But number two, I generally find that in athletes who have decided, you know what, yes, I'm going to do strength training when they dedicate myself to do the strength training is that they often do higher repetition and lighter load strength training. And this is generally because there's a misconception there for a couple of reasons. One, I find that athletes generally do this because, you know, say doing three sets of 10 or 12 is really common in the gym. So they'll go in and do that at lighter loads, um, thinking that it's going to cause them less fatigue, but it actually causes more fatigue than if you were to go heavier. So that's probably the number one mistake. Um, And the number two mistake that kind of goes with that is that as endurance athletes, we think, you know, you've got to crack a sweat or you've got to get your heart rate up. So they'll tend to go in these lighter loads, um, higher rep ranges. Um, And that's probably, yeah, the most common thing that I see done wrong when actually 
what you do want to do, like I sort of touched on before, is to see these really significant improvements in performance. You really want to actually go more in the lower rep ranges and then with heavier loads. So you're not only going to decrease your overall fatigue from that, but you're going to actually induce changes in the muscles and the tendons and the bones to really make a substantial difference to the body to actually adapt from that strength training. Now, obviously, there are a few exceptions with this where potentially with some of your more um, injury prevention-based exercises where you might want to work muscular endurance some of those you can go on the higher rep ranges but for most of your real performance based stuff or when it comes to loading up your tendons and your bones at the end of these injuries you really want to go heavy so you can actually create meaningful changes so most of the time i see maybe the exercise selection may be right but the sets and the reps and the rest is done wrong so most people um, have too short a rest and then they can't hit the same weights so so that's the most common thing i think that's done incorrectly Right. So you're a physio by trade as well. So yes. do you separate out your injury prevention and your sort of prehabilitation and rehabilitation exercises from your general strength and conditioning? Or is it something that you integrate together in the same session? I pretty much always do it together in the same session. I think that, um, you know, with a lot of experience and understanding and knowledge in in this field I really like to tie them together and this is mainly because especially as age group athletes we're short on time like most of us you know work um, might have a family might have other dedications or other hobbies outside of um, triathlon and endurance sports so we often don't have the time to get to the gym so I'm a big believer in tying them in together and often what I'll do is I'll put really specific injury prevention based exercises where they are in the higher rep and lighter load range I'll use those as a warm-up um, and use them as like an activation warm-up exercises and then I'll do the main set stuff where it's a little bit heavier more in those higher loads and lower repetition ranges but I will pick those main set exercises is based on the injury. So let's say that I have someone who has, example, Achilles tendinopathy. Um, let's say that they're late stage. I would give them some pogos or some body weight deficit calf raises in the activations, as well as some glute stuff, because we know that that can actually contribute to Achilles tendinopathy. So I would give them that kind of stuff as the activation and warm ups. And then in the main set, I would give them some heavier glute, uh, lower limb loading, because that does contribute to Achilles tendinopathy. So let's say I gave them three sets of five back squats. And then I would also tie in there some heavy stuff for their tendon as well through, for their Achilles tendon too. So I would give them some, say, single leg seated calf raises or Smith machine calf raises. Again, maybe that three sets of five and then that's not only going to help their Achilles tendinopathy but that's also going to help their running performance as well so you really can tie your injury prevention or your injury management with your performance strength-based stuff as well like they they can definitely go hand in hand if you've got that experience and understanding of your strength training exercises okay great and just so we cover it off can mm. you explain the difference between strength training that you do in the gym or with bands and body weight versus sports-specific strength training? Yeah, it's it's funny this kind of sports-specific strength training terminology because it's it's a tricky one because sometimes you might give someone an exercise that doesn't look like it's really that sport specific. So let's say that it might be someone might call an isolated leg extension 
extension or like a hamstring curl. And they might say that's not sport specific because that just targets, say, just the hamstrings or just the quadriceps. And they might say that's not specific to the sport. Triathletes don't sit down and just extend their leg. But realistically, when it comes to triathlon, strengthening through your quadriceps is really important to improve that generation in power on the bike and to help prevent that fatigue on the run. So I always get a little bit funny when it comes to people saying something is more sports specific or not. Um, You can you know, you can make a really good argument for, um, like I said, with that leg curl or the leg extension not being sport specific because they're an isolated exercise and say that something like a front squat or a back squat is better. And I generally agree with this because it is done in movements that more replicate, you know, like a squat replicates more like that push through the pedal on the bike. Um, and if you're doing a triple extension, it replicates that extension like you're doing on the run. So you would argue and say that they are a lot more sports specific. And I think that in time poor athletes, they are the movements that they should be doing. But I do think that it's important in the back of our mind to think about not necessarily excluding those isolated exercises that may not look as sports specific if you do have someone who has a targeted weakness in that area. So I do think that the non-sports specific exercises can be helpful for people who have an injury in that area or relatively weak in that area and you might actually want to isolate that so overall do compound sport specific movements that look like they do replicate the movements of your sport but don't be so quick to diss the the exercises that may not look like they aren't as much if they suit you or that particular athlete I don't know if that if I made it more complicated there Jamie or if that made sense (laughs) now that makes sense and then following on from this sport specific theme what about the difference between doing your paddle and band work in the pool, your low cadence work on the bike and hill reps running yes. and that genre of sports-specific strength versus doing strength work in the gym or with body weight at home? Yes, I'm I'm really glad you asked this because this is something that I think comes up so often and uh, there is so much misunderstanding around this. But when you were thinking about your sports-specific movement, so say like you said, the swimming with paddles or running or riding up a hill, first of all, if you think about the number of repetitions that you do with this, it's going to be hundreds or thousands. You cannot do hundreds or thousands of repetitions of a particular movement and expect to improve your strength or your neuromuscular capacity or appropriately load the tendon in a way that is going to minimize injuries or improve those physiological demands um, to actually create changes in your muscles and your tendons and your bones. But what those sessions do do is they do improve your cardiovascular capacity, your VO2 max, your lactate threshold, et cetera. So they are really, really important when it comes to endurance training, but they're endurance training sessions because the adaptations that occur with those are improving your aerobic and your anaerobic capacities. Whereas in contrast, let's say we're talking about your squats, for example, let's say you're doing three sets of five of those relatively heavy what you are improving with that is what's called your neuromuscular capacity so this is things like your musculotendinous stiffness the ability of your motor units to work together in synchronization um, your overall maximal strength which is really important to improve your performance and you're working on these aspects that you don't get from endurance training so you might only do endurance training but you're missing these extra benefits 
benefits that are not only going to directly help improve your performance, but they are the things that improve your body's ability to tolerate load. And they are the things that are going to enable you to train more without getting injuries and train more consistently, which again, kind of goes back to what I was saying at the start. That's a way that you then can do that to improve your overall training load endurance wise. And that's in turn going to then help your performance performance as well because you're not only improving your strength and all those things but you're improving your body's ability to tolerate loads you can actually do more endurance training on top of that and then all of these things put together are going to really help improve your overall performance so they create completely so you know you're talking about these strength endurance sessions versus strength in the gym they create completely different physiological adaptations they are not the same and they can't be replaced but they both belong in an athlete's program Got it. Okay. And when, if we're talking about scheduling mm. of strength training for endurance athletes, mm -hmm. is there, is there an ideal time to do it? Like how do you approach this when you're working with athletes? Yeah, this is another really common thing that comes up and it's completely understandable where the confusion comes from because it's, you know, amongst all of the endurance training on top of work, on top of life and everything, it can be really hard to know, okay, where do I put my gym training in? Generally, for most athletes, I would say put your gym training as the second session of the day. Of course, this does depend on logistics. But the reason that I say to put it as your second session of the day is that it then enables you to still uh, to nail your endurance training session, um, especially if you've got a run to do that day. Because you can do your run, you can nail your session. Let's say you've got a lactate threshold session or a really hard session. You can go out and nail that in the morning or as your first session of the day. And then if you're feeling a little bit tired and fatigued, you can always alter your strength training session later on in the day. But if you do your gym session first, especially if you're new to the gym, um, then, you know, that can potentially change your biomechanics a little bit when you run, if you're feeling tired and fatigued um, in, in your key session for the second one for the day. Um, so that's my general kind of advice on that. But as you do become more and more experienced in the gym, you can play around with this a little bit more because you're going to feel that fatigue a little bit less. It's, you know, it's generally the same. It's like the more that you've been endurance training, the more your body is able to tolerate that load. So I would say you have more flexibility, the more experienced you are in the gym. And I would also say that it really depends on where you're at in your season as well. If you're in the big lead up to a key race and it's your A race and, you know, as age groupers, we pour thousands of dollars into racing. So you don't want to, you know, let your gym work uh, negatively affect your endurance training or anything to come on race day. So I would always say if you're in the big build up, definitely put your strength training session as the second one of the day and your key endurance ones first. But if you're in your off season and let's say that you're working on improving your body's tolerance to injuries or you're working on a particular weakness that you you know that you have, let's say you know that you've got weaker glutes and it's something that you've always wanted to work on, then I would say that that could be the time that you could put your gym session first if that is your priority. So it not only depends on your gym experience, but also where you're at in your season as well. So it is quite individualized. Um, I do also have a little, a couple little videos videos I've put on this um, on our Instagram and I made a little YouTube video on it as well that goes really in depth in it too um, if, if anyone wants to have a little look at those um, I give a couple of examples but they're general good concepts to follow. And is there a particular session that works well if you're going to do a strength session later in the day so is it better to pair a, a strength session with a run day or a bike day or a swim day or it doesn't really matter it's just more about prioritizing 
your endurance work first and then adapting the strength session I would generally, later in the day yeah I would generally say where you can try and put your strength session after you've done a swim or a bike in the morning because in most programs you might want a form of plyometric exercise or you know a form of heavy lifting like I said, um, and you do really want to make sure that you do those properly and not under excessive fatigue. So I would generally say, you know, with a swim where you might be more upper body dominant, obviously in the morning, and then let's say you're doing some pogos or some heavy lower limb exercises in the afternoon, it's much better to complement that with the swim in the morning. Um, or a bike in the morning. And the reason being why I say bike, obviously it's so leg dominant, but generally there's there's not that ground reaction force and not that excessive loading through the tendons and the bones with your bike. So you're overall going to feel a little bit less fatigued when it comes to doing your gym session later in the day. So that would be my general advice is if you can do your gym on a day where you've got a swim or a bike in the morning, Morning, that's more recommended than a run. Otherwise, if you have an easy run in the morning, then it's fine to do the gym in the afternoon. I would just say your main thing to be aware of with scheduling is where you have a heavy or a hard run and a gym on the same day. I would say really try and minimize that and space those out 24 to 48 hours apart. All right. And speaking of, you mentioned periodization before mm. in terms of how it uh, fits in with the overall season and whether in a race block. Is there anything else you can tell us about the best way to periodize your strength training over a 12 month period? Yeah, I would say if you have a block of time, let's, well, well, first of all, for your strength training to really make a significant difference to performance, generally your research shows that you need about 24 sessions. So generally I would say the best way to spread that out is two sessions over 12 weeks before you start to see meaningful changes you are going to get neural adaptations muscular adaptations and you are going to feel better from your strength training after about four to six weeks but for that to really properly transfer over to performance benefits that you can tangibly see you need to give it to 12 weeks so i would say if you have a 12-week block where you don't really have any racing aim to fit in your strength training two to three times a week over that period and then i would say as you're starting to really ramp up your training drop that down to two strength training sessions of about 30 to 40 minutes in that time. And then let's say you've got your last six to eight weeks in the lead up to a big key race. In that time, I would say you could drop that down to once a week just to maintain your strength, especially if you're finding it hard to fit everything in. And then you can maintain it up until your race day. And that's the general kind of guidelines that I would give. It's, it is obviously very personal because I also have a lot of people who come to me just anecdotally here in private practice and they say to me if they do anything less than two a week they really start to feel their niggles come back up they don't feel as good on the bike they feel a bit more sloppy when they run they feel like they lose their biomechanics so most people that come and see me say once they're into the routine of strength training they do it twice a week throughout the whole year and they just might modify the sessions but there is definitely a time period of about that six to eight weeks where you can do it once a week to maintain especially if you do get a little bit of fatigue from strength training um but be aware that you've got to dedicate that kind of 24 sessions to your strength training before you start to really see some proper tangible improvement so you need to set aside that time for it okay and before we get into some of the practicalities um i guess addressing this as a consideration for age group triathletes whether they're New, new to the sport or new to strength training or whether they're advanced in uh, in their strength training and advanced in their uh, performance outcomes for for training and racing home mm. versus gym so mm. 
start with if you could start with telling us what the differences between the two are, but also maybe how you can maximize the time spent in the home gym for those that don't have access to, you know, the equipment or or a gym membership and being able to actually dedicate the time to to commute to the to the gym itself. Yeah, definitely. So I, I do think there's a little bit of a misconception around if I'm new, I should only do home exercises, but that's not necessarily the case. If you do have the ability to get to a gym, I would say even if you were new, still go to the gym and still do some some gym exercises. You just do ones that are easier technique-wise. So you might want to start with more machine-based exercises like a leg press or a calf raise because there's less technique and it will get you confident with some weight. So sometimes some home exercises actually require more technique and more, um, and they can be really hard than actually going to a gym. So I wouldn't say it's necessary to start with home gym and then go to to the gym. Um, I would say that you can definitely jump straight in the gym and do it even if you're a beginner it just comes to smart loads and smart exercise choices um but i i do know again touching on that those time restraints like you said of actually going to a gym definitely if you can't do that do some home stuff um there will hit a point where after a little while i think that people do start to plateau with some body weight and banded exercises again i would say sort of after 12ish weeks once you have really challenged yourself with your body weight and band exercises you go to want to start to progress those exercises with some weights so I would say it would be worth over that time investing in um, some dumbbells and kettlebells but honestly the biggest investment that you could get for a home gym if you have the space would be a barbell and some weight plates um, and and you can always buy more weight plates as you get stronger um, but yeah you can definitely do some home gym stuff for a while but I do think that you're going to want to progress to really get the benefits for that injury prevention and that adequate loading that you want to see some proper improvements there um but home gym is better than nothing so by all means absolutely keep doing home gym if it is the only thing that you can do um but where you can start to add in add in some weights in there so you're still going to get a lot of benefits from doing your strength work at home with your body weight and your band but as you progress and as you do that more consistently, you want to try and find ways to progress the strength training as well. And it might just be about making those purchases as as you go, as opposed to yeah. going and spending thousands of dollars on trying to get a complete setup straight at home to try and maximize your time availability. Yes, absolutely. And and that's it. And like I said, if you can get, I reckon there's a lot of people selling their gym stuff from post-COVID now. <laughs> <laughs> True. You can buy, yeah. If you can find a barbell, and some weight plates um, and you've got a couple of dumbbells and some bands that's all that you need for home you you don't have to buy a full-on rig like sure it's going to limit your ability to do squats but you can do bent over rows deadlifts um yeah like triple extensions there's so much stuff that you can do from home with that um but like i said you can certainly just start with body weight and band um and we've made some really good programs for these on our apps like to to definitely get you started and if it is the only thing that you can do keep doing it 100 but if you can have a look and start to get those weights just to keep challenging your body it's probably no different if you put it in like your endurance training terms like uh, you know doing your your threshold stuff is really important but after a while you're going to get really used to it and you've got to keep increasing that right our body's the same with strength training it adapts in that same way where it goes okay i need a new challenge now i need a new challenge now and that doesn't mean you have to change exercises you can literally just add some weights to it um so that's where i think that home programs have some limitations 
Okay, well, off the back of that, let's talk about sets and reps then for maximizing strength. And let's um, split that into two categories, using body weight and then using weights for the guys that have invested in that or are going to a gym to do their strength work. So what's the ideal sort of sets and reps? And if you need to, just break this down into different types of exercises as well, if that's relevant. Yeah, so I would say for your injury prevention exercises, I wouldn't give particular parameters on them. So this might be, let's say I've got someone who has um, uh, shoulder impingement, let's say, for example, the injury prevention ones, they really vary. I'll do some higher rep range, so say three sets of eight three sets of 10, let's say that we're doing some internal, external rotations, but then I will also complement this with some heavier strength stuff. So maybe what's better if I start sort of explaining the different ranges of the sets and reps. So when I talk about heavy strength training, this is one to six repetitions. Some definitions of this can be up to eight repetitions, but technically it's one to six repetitions. And then you'd be doing three to five sets of these with two to three minutes of rest at a weight that should be greater than 85% of your maximum. Now, with a lot of these movements, athletes aren't going to know what their maximum weight is because we don't want RM test everything. So that's maximal strength test everything. So the way I like to transfer that over to a way that any athlete can understand is by leaving what's called reps in reserve. So this means that when you have finished the movement, you want to think about how many more repetitions you could have done. Now with your heavy strength training, ideally you should only be able to do either no more reps, one more rep, two more reps, maybe three and that's going to leave you in your heavy strength training. So to sort of put all of that together, three to five sets of one to six repetitions at a load that's only going to leave you with zero, one, two, or three repetitions in reserve. And this should always be complemented with about three minutes of rest. And that rest is really important. So that's your heavy strength stuff. And I'll do that for the main set exercises such as back squats, front squats, deadlifts, weighted hip thrusts, leg press, single leg seated calf raises, like all of those kind of exercises. And then for your more warm-ups and your activation, your injury prevention ones, they're probably probably generally a little bit more in your traditional strength training zones. And these are actually in the strength training world known as like hypertrophy zones. So that's about three to five sets of eight to 12 repetitions at heavier loads, um, which only leave 60 to 90 seconds rest. But I won't put athletes in that hypertrophy zones because we don't want our athletes to bulk up unless that's a goal. I don't aim for that for them. Um, so I would generally do these more around that muscular endurance kind of target. So I won't leave these quite so heavy. So let's say that I'm giving someone crab walks because I want to strengthen up through their glutes. I would give them, say, three sets of 12 repetitions, leaving about three to four reps in reserve. But those reps in reserve are more like, oh my gosh, my glutes are really burning. I can feel them really working and that improves the neural component. So it's really firing up the nerves going to the area. It's getting those muscles really nice and working. We're building a little bit of strength there, but the goal of that is to get them working. So then say for the main set, then they're going heavy, three sets of five, leaving two reps in reserve, say for their split squats. So then you're getting some targeted glute exercises in your activations in those higher rep ranges. And then you're getting some um, heavy strength training in there as well. And they're going to complement each other really, really nicely. Now that would be if you're in the gym, if you're at home, you can still kind of aim for that same kind of um, activation warm up and then the main 
set, you just pick a more complex movement. So something like a reverse lunge with your foot up, that's a really tough exercise. And you might only be able to do three sets of five and you feel like, gosh, I could only do one more. That would put you in those nice strength training zones. So you can still do them for the main set from home. And then you can complement them with the high rep range stuff for your activations as well. So I actually wouldn't make them too dissimilar when it comes to a home or a gym program. I would just pick the exercises to complement them really nicely to try and keep in those zones. So we're trying to get the same adaptations. All right. Thanks for that. <clears throat> so if you're doing, say, a bent over row and a deadlift mm-hmm. and you've just got mm-hmm. a like quite a heavy band, but you're at home, mm-hmm. what's the what's the what else can you do to make sure you're getting the benefits of those heavy heavy ranges that you mentioned that you would do in the gym. So can you play around with the the tempo of of the movements or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. I would always say like get a bigger band. (laughs) Yep, yep. (laughs) <laughs> um so you so you'll put more resistance on it right yep. um but definitely the tempo of the movement is a really really good thing to do but changing the tempo of the movement can be really helpful to load up the tendons um so we know that like for example some of the sports scientists um with Kipchoge's breaking two is they were trying to make the Achilles tendon so stiff and so strong that it did the majority of the work so the calf muscles didn't have to work right because tendons don't require energy but muscles do so um when we try and improve that tendon loading through say like tempo work like you've brought up it's really really helpful so you can definitely change the tempo of the movement and you'll improve your tendon stiffness you'll also really fatigue the muscle as well which is really really helpful um but some movements just can't be tempo um i would say definitely change the tempo of the movement get thicker bands make your exercises single leg where you can that's always really really helpful because obviously single leg movements are a lot more challenging and in triathlon you know we swim bike run with single leg so we should be doing unilateral exercises where we can um, and introducing some plyometrics is another really good way to keep the body challenged when it comes to home exercises as well. Um, and they're really good for loading up through the tendons, muscles and bones as well for endurance athletes. So they can all be really helpful ways that you can change up those home exercises too. Okay, speaking of plyometrics, how would we integrate plyometrics and what are the benefits of doing plyometrics, whether you're at home or in the gym? Yeah, plyometrics, I really feel like should be in any athlete's program if they do a form of running. They're not quite so helpful for your cycling because the way that your plyometrics work is they improve that musculotendinous stiffness and that can help do things like decrease um, your ground contact time. So obviously in cycling, it's not as important, but in running, it's vital. So your plyometrics, Tricks help improve the rate of force development of your muscles and your tendons. So again, that means that decreased ground contact time. So it's going to improve your running economy. It's going to make you more effective. It's going to decrease the amount of time that your muscles are contracting and shutting off blood supply um, by improving that rate of force development. So it's so helpful for so many things. But one of the biggest benefits that I find for plyometrics for endurance athletes is their ability to help minimize bone stress injuries. So this is um, stress fractures, stress reactions, any form of bony injuries, because after about 100 repetitions, so say 100 steps when we run, our bones get used to that loading, so they stop adapting. So by adding in plyometrics where, say, you're jumping sideways or you're doing box jumps or something like that, you're putting different loads into your bones and you're helping their ability to tolerate that load. And it's very similar for the tendons too. So they can help minimize bone injuries and tendon injuries. 
but they have to be scheduled in sensibly. So I would never schedule in plyometrics after a hard run because they can put too much load in the body. So I would put plyometrics on a swim day or a bike day, and I would only do them a maximum of twice a week um, if you're in a big training load. In saying that, there was a really, really good study that was published only a couple of months ago, and they did a total of five minutes of pogo. So this is just like double leg jumping virtually. Um, And they did five minutes of this every day in recreationally trained male athletes. Um, And they started off with 10 seconds of pogos, 50 seconds to rest times five. And then they progressed the duration of the amount of pogos that they did over time. And this was over a period of six weeks. And these runners significantly improved their running economy at 12 and 14 kilometers an hour. Um, And, you know, that's huge. So you can do them more. And they actually found that in this group of runners, there was no increased risk of injury either, which was really surprising to me. So I think maybe my twice a week is a little bit conservative but I would say for anyone new to plyometrics probably go with twice a week and build up from there but your key thing is it doesn't have to be a lot you can just do pogos you just do box jumps you can do some triple extensions um there are lots of examples of these on our Instagram and YouTube if anyone wants to have a little look um but they don't have to be crazy complicated movements at all but putting them in is really important and I think that doing something like three sets of 20 double leg pogos is a great place to start Um, three sets of five box jumps is a really good place to start and then you can build up from there they mentioned it's really really beneficial for anyone who runs Mm. uh, but not so effective for cycling or improving cycling performance what about in this in swimming is there uh, are there some plyometric exercises that you could do that could help you help your swimming performance yeah i think that for swimming they're really good for injury prevention so there was a big consensus a statement that came out about minimizing shoulder injuries. And what they found was that some really aggressive plyometric type exercises, like putting your shoulder repeatedly with a long lever arm into and out of a band or sitting on the edge of a bed with your arm hanging off, dropping and catching a ball in your hand. Um, these type plyometric upper body exercises were really effective at minimizing shoulder injuries. End stage, of course, not if it's really flared up, it's going to make it worse. But in the end stage, it was really effective for that. So I think that in terms of that, which can overall help your performance that way they're really really helpful in terms of performance it's interesting because with swimming circuit-based training or plyometric stuff has been shown to be not as effective as heavy strength training for improving swim performance so for cycling and swimming I'm still a bit more in the heavy strength stuff for performance because that's really what the research shows um again there's not really that ground reaction well there's no ground reaction force when you swim it's about getting your technique right creating this beautiful catch and then a really strong and powerful pull so I think that for me swimming is more about that technique and then creating the strength for you to have a really powerful pull um, and preventing injuries that's more important for performance you don't need plyometrics for that you just need to generate appropriate power so I I would say plyometrics for shoulder injury prevention and management, which can help performance, but for direct performance improvements, I'm not super sold on it yet for swimming. If there any research comes out, I'll change my mind, which I think is important to be open-minded, but I'm not convinced. Fair enough. So we'll get into more examples of, of good exercises for improving performance and helping to reduce injuries across swim, bike and run in a little while. But while we're on the subject of the swimming, 
Mm. Um, the swim bands became popular. They, I think they've been popular with swimmers and swim squads for a long time, but they sort of became more popular during the lockdowns when people couldn't get to pools. And yeah. uh, more recently, I've, I've seen the goat, Jan Fredino, using them to help <laughs> complement his pool swimming. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts around that and, and the value they can add for, for, for swimmers and triathletes? Yeah, I mean, look, I think that they're great for improving like technique and neuromuscular adaptations in some ways. Um, like you said, over COVID, I think they're great for if you can't get to the pool and they're a really good complementary thing, but they don't substitute heavier strength training where you're working on improving your overall maximal strength. And that is only going to come from pushing maximal strength ways. So, so th this is the thing is there are so many different ways that contribute to performance technique, um, obviously doing your endurance training loads. And that's where those swim bands can really help with those things. But a part of improving performance that complements it is improving your overall body's ability to generate force. And that comes from improving your maximal strength. And that comes from only pushing particular loads. So I think that they complement performance really well, but not in place of doing some nice heavy say, I know we said we we're going to talk about exercises, but say like lat pull downs, that will create a different stimulus. Yeah. So they probably fall in that category of, you know, swimming with paddles or riding up a exactly. hill. Exactly. Um, yes. And yeah, sports specific strength endurance yes. um, and technical. So they complement yes. your actual pool swimming, but yep. you're not going to get those pure strength training benefits that exactly. you do from doing the heavy work. Yep. Yes. Makes yes. Sense. Again, they both have great spots in overall performance, but not in place of each other. Got it. Just like you can't muscle out bad swim technique. Like people come to me and go, Kate, I've done all the strength exercises you've told me and I've only seen small improvements in my swim. I'm like, yeah, that's because you don't swim. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You've still got to do well. swimming. Exactly. Yeah. You can have the strongest upper body in the world and I can make you super robust, but if you're not going to hop in the pool or if you're not going to do any open water swimming, well, that's not going to work. Yep. <laughs> you know, I'm very aware that strength training, it's a means to an end and it's complementary. It doesn't replace anything. It can be really good to help maintain, you know, if you're injured, like doing, you know, some gym stuff can help maintain your bone and your tendon that like integrity, but you still got to swim, bike, run. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You can't do no swimming, no cycling, no running, yeah. rock up to a triathlon because you've done all your that... strength work. Kate said if I was strong, I'd be fine. Yeah, I'm like, no, no, I said you would minimise your risk of injuries and improve your performance, but you still have to swim, bike, run. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, I reckon if people aren't sold on it by by now, they they, they should be getting pretty close. Um, just as another general question, are there any specific considerations for males versus females when it comes to strength training and integrating into an endurance program this is such a good question jamie and like the, the long story short is there needs to be more research on this and there needs to be more research in female athletes in general in sport i don't think that there is enough at the moment to um really strongly say we should change this or this or this just like you know training around the menstrual cycle it just really comes down to everyone is different and i think that this is the same when it comes to strength training i think that it's not necessarily even like the sex differences in males or females. It's just, I think that every triathlete is different and you have to find a program that works for them. Um, but in terms of specific differences, generally your research just shows that in endurance sports, females are generally more fatigue resistant. So that means that we'll be able to, 
go at the same pace generally longer than males. Um, but yay, something in our favor. But when <laughs> it comes to general strength, males are stronger. You've got more testosterone, more growth hormone. Males will be able to lift more weights, but that doesn't really change relative what we do. Um, I would say that maybe there's a little bit of difference in the recovery. It seems that the window of um, your three to one carbon protein ratio, which you should be taking in after heavy sessions, particularly in the gym. So getting in that sort of 20 to 30 grams of protein and complementing that with some carbohydrates. It seems that maybe in females, that's a little bit more specific to 30 to 60 minutes after a gym session, where in males, it can be up to three hours. So it's probably more things that you do after the gym, just making sure that, you know, your females are having a lot of rest as well, um, replenishing energy. But they're all things that I would say are still just as important in males as well. So to be honest, there's just not enough research in it at the moment to really say, look, clear cut, these are the considerations that we need for males and females. I'd love there to be more. But I would say the biggest thing is just listen to your athlete that is in front of you. Um, if you're the coach or if you are an athlete and you were doing it yourself, just listen to your body. Keep a diary of how you're feeling throughout your cycle. Keep a diary of how you're feeling throughout um, your gym sessions, your endurance sessions, and just adapt your session based on how you're feeling. And you can't go wrong from there. But I think that applies to all athletes. Yeah, good advice. Now, I wasn't going to ask this, but I thought we're on the subject. If you were going to do a study into female female endurance athletes and strength training and how to optimize and maximize that, what would mm. you be looking for specifically? Like how would you design that study? Yeah, well, well, it's interesting because I'm doing one at the moment, actually, Jamie. It's not on strength training, but we're comparing the super shoes in female athletes. So all of the studies that have looked at, you know, like you and I, next percents, et cetera, they've all been in men. Not one has been in females. And we're saying, okay, so females are spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on shoes that are based on men. And what we're actually finding in this is that the females don't respond the same. We're very, very, very different based on the shoes. Um, different shoes work for different people. But the main thing that we are controlling for in this study is just the different phases of the menstrual cycle because at the start you've got that estrogen whereas um, after ovulation it's more progesterone based so we're just controlling for that because it's proposed that maybe that progesterone might influence things like thermoregulation and heart rate a little bit so it's just controlling for that and that's just for us as researchers to say look the changes that we saw in strength or economy or whatever it is is from the intervention it's from the strength training or it's from this or it's from that it's not from the menstrual cycle so it's more just controlling for that I don't I'm not necessarily sure that off the top of my head that we would need to change the exercise types or anything like that I don't think that's the case I think it's more just controlling so we can be more scientifically robust and um you know and show that it that the strength training has the same effect in females and it wasn't influenced by anything else so that's the main thing I'd control for but I really treat um my male and female athletes very very similar in what I prescribe and that's just based off their feedback for me so yeah, I sorry, I don't know if that really answered your question very well. I went on a bit of a tangent. It's an area I'm very passionate about. Um, <laughs> but no, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. So what I got yeah. from that is basically, like in a lot of areas, you just need studies to be done on women, and that would be a good yes. start point. And then the specifics probably don't yeah. really matter. But the main thing, obviously, is the menstrual cycle and and working things yeah. around that, and and you know what what considerations need to be made around that menstrual cycle is the main one. But just having yeah. women in studies would be a good start. Be good. Yeah. And we included women 
in um in my PhD, like very proud. I was in um one of the stats that showed that four percent of studies included female athletes in one of the leading sports science journals. Mine was actually in that four percent, which made me very proud. Um, and we included them control for menstrual cycle and that's something that I wish in hindsight I could do um well I I would have done um but yeah I just overall think that first of all we just need to include female athletes to see if these performance improvements are still the same you know there's a difference not so it's just actually having women as participants in studies and the women are there they want to do it like that's not the trouble it's the logistics and the funding um so yeah I could go on a tangent but we'll get there yeah we'll get there okay cool all right so bear me bear with me with these couple of questions I just want to make sure we're covering all all bases yes so you've got new triathlete or Mm -hmm. a couple of new triathletes say one is new to strength training as well Mm-hmm. but the other one is actually experiencing their strength training, even if it's just general strength and you know, mainly for aesthetics and feeling good. Mm-hmm. Any differences in terms of considering or the considerations when applying strength training to their on top of their endurance programming? Yes, I would program their strength training quite differently. Um, if you have the athlete who is more experienced in the gym and say they're currently still doing it, I love working with these athletes actually because they they kind of get it and they're already on board with strength training so I feel like half of my battle is gone um so they're the ones that I could push a little bit more in the mindset exercises um to head more towards that one to two reps in reserve and they're generally quite familiar with pushing that hard in fact they're more the athletes that I find struggle with the activation type exercises so like single leg deadlifts or anything where I'm really trying to target say the glutes they're usually really conditioned for the heavy stuff but struggle at that so I might even swap my focus a little bit But with the person that is new to gym and new to endurance, I'm particularly more cautious because they're going to be feeling fatigue from um, their triathlon training if they're new to that as well. And the last thing I want to do is put them off either their endurance training or their strength training. So I'd be a lot more conservative when it comes to the strength training. I would make their strength training program super simple. So I would give them two to three activation exercises and two to three mindset exercises, maybe even only two. And I would prescribe those mindset exercises with something simple such as three sets of six leaving four reps in reserve so we're not going too crazy heavy with them and I would give them really basic exercises such as a leg press and a single leg seated calf raise or a lap pull down and I would keep it really really simple to start with and then over time build them up okay so now same question but you've got an advanced triathlete or endurance athlete They've been Mm -hmm. in sport for an extended period of time. They're training consistently. They're nailing all of those basics. Mm -hmm. One is new to strength training and they've been convinced by this conversation or another reason that they should be integrating strength training. And then again, uh, the other athlete is experienced in their strength training whilst also being experienced in their endurance training. Any differences in considerations there? Yeah, I would probably treat the high-level triathlete who's still a bit of a novice in the gym, very similar to what I just said with the still the newbie triathlete. So I generally, um, anyone who's new to the gym and they're doing it on top of their endurance training, I'm, I would like to be a little bit more conservative because I think that if you, if you make them really excessively fatigued, they're going to be put off gym and then you've missed the boat of convincing them that strength training is good. <laughs> Um, so I, and I never want to cause excessive, excessive fatigue. So I would still build them up in a very similar way and keep their program generally quite the same. 
Like even, for example, and I'm sure he won't mind me using this, but like Joe Skipper, when he came in, he hadn't strength trained for a while. And I started him off with two or three um, general activation exercises. And then we started with back squats, single leg seated calf raises and lat pull downs. So three basic exercises. And I made him stay there for a good four weeks of leaving quite a few reps in reserve until we really started to build it up. And then we went nice and heavy. Um, but, you know, and he's he's professional triathlete, but I still treated his gym like he was new to it. Um, it didn't take him long at all. And generally I do find in high level triathletes, they adapt to gym really quickly. Um, but I still treated him like he knew nothing in the gym, even though he was a professional triathlete and then with the one who may be a lower level athlete but more experienced in the gym I'll really consider that and really give their gym program a good nudge and that's really nice too because then they see these performance adaptations from their strength training really quickly so then not only are they getting really quick adaptations to their triathlon their endurance program because they're new to it they're going to get good adaptations really quickly but then they're complementing that really well with their strength program and then because I can push their strength program they're more, more robust to injuries so they're adapting really well overall and I think that's why I really like working with with that crowd because they're just seeing these improvements left, right, and center, and they can train more because they're preventing injuries by by keeping up their gym stuff. Um, and often because they have that background in it, they're quite robust already. So I would treat them actually quite differently. Okay, so regardless of their category, now you mentioned they're managing that excessive fatigue and that being a key part of it, so you can get those positive adaptations. How do we, have you got any tips around balancing your progression in the gym and with your strength work, but also managing the DOMS and that fear of being injured from the strength work, which is, you know, part of the reason for doing strength work would be the injury prevention. So just, yeah, balancing the progressions yeah. um, alongside, you know, some of the, some of the other considerations of strength work, whether it be the fear of injury or, or being sore for a swim, bike or run session. Yeah, it's um it's such a key thing to get right. And um in our app, I actually I said to Nick and Joe, like, if we're gonna make this, there has to be a fatigue scale in there. So what I actually did in that is what I do with my athletes here is there's a fatigue scale and you put in how fatigue you're feeling from a scale of zero to 10 and it modifies the weights and stuff for you and I think that that's what you need to do to help minimize that fatigue and that doms the tricky thing is then getting that right right it's like it's easy for me to play around with weights because I've got experience and I and I know what to do with athletes but it's hard when you're the athlete yourself and you're so self-coached or you're just doing your strength training yourself because you go how much do I modify it but I think that your key thing with minimizing that doms is just not going crazy with the loads and also it's picking your exercises right as well which again can be tricky but doing any form of eccentric exercise so that's where the muscle is working but it's lengthening that can induce huge amounts of fatigue so if you're feeling really fatigued I would say leave a few more reps in reserve than what you normally would so if you're say traditionally leaving two two reps in reserve for your main set, change that, leave more like three or four. I would say minimize eccentric loaded exercises. So these are things such as really controlling down the top of your deadlift, minimizing things like a slow control down on any movement that you do. Um, minimize plyometrics. So stick to basic double leg pogos or something rather than doing anything drastic with your plyometrics and maybe decrease the number of overall, overall exercises that you do. Um, you know, you don't have to go into the gym and spend an hour and a half there and do crazy amounts of exercise. Go in and do three activation exercises, two main set exercises and get out. Your strength training is means to an end. Be really smart with it. So 
It's definitely about managing that load and getting that scheduling right as well is really important. If you've done a really hard run session in the morning and you're just not feeling it in the afternoon, don't push your gym. Leave your main set exercises. Just do your activations. You know, don't be afraid to modify your strength training as you need to. Um, you can track your fatigue. Um, you can, you know, a lot of it I think subjective is best. I know that so many people use like their hoop bands or their garments and they're like, oh, my garment told me I had a good sleep last night, but I woke up 10 times. But my garment says I slept well, so I am going to go heavy. It's like, no, no, just listen to yourself and modify your strength as you need to based on just how you feel. That's the best advice I think that I can give for that. Yeah, good advice. Okay, so you've mentioned the app a few times. It's a new app. It's just been launched called Valair. So it's developed yes. by yourself, your husband, Nick, and pro triathlete Joe Skipper, who you've mentioned a couple of times. Do you just want yeah. to spend a few minutes and just explain to us how that all came about and what the value is and what the purpose of it all is? Yeah, so um, Nick, Joe, and I, I met um, Joe in Kona in 2015, and then he came to Perth in, I think it was 2018, um, and did some strength training with us. He's here for for a good few weeks. I destroyed him in a couple of swims. I don't want to brag about that, but I did. Um, <laughs> and um, and keep up with you. Yeah, look, he tried to sit on my feet. No, I took him for one big swim because I was training to do a big rotto solo swim here and it completely destroyed him for days. He even still talks about it now. He's like, Kate, that swim destroyed me. I'm like, yes, no. <laughs> he does not but, um, like swimming, does he? No, I know. I think, yeah, yesterday he did not have a good swim, which was so, so sad. But I reckon he needs to come here and start swimming with me again. That's that's the thing. No. That's okay. <laughs> anyway. I digress, Jamie. Um, yes, but um, yeah, so we did a lot of his strength training here. And then he went back to the UK. He continued with his strength training. But I know that also at some point he got feedback from a general PT when he was doing his strength training who was telling him, do your squats deeper. And he did. And I know that he hurt his hip from it. And I told him off for that because I told him, you do not do deep squats. You've got a flared up hip. You're a, hip, you're a triathlete. Don't do that. And he's like, oh, I should have just listened to you. I'm like, yes, Joe. But um, but <laughs> this is, I think, the point is that strength training for endurance athletes is so different to strength training for general anyone that goes into the gym. And that doesn't work for endurance athletes. We don't do deep squats. We don't need to. We don't need that range of motion. We don't need to do three sets of 10 reps and sit 90 seconds rest. That is not at all what suits us and what is going to help our performance. And these are the things that came out of these consults that Joe was learning so much about. And he was like, whoa, I didn't know any of this. And we really clarified that for him. And then COVID hit and he said, like, Kate, you need to put all of this information in a form on a global form that people can can access. So then we started working on the app together um, and, yeah, put all of the programs and all of that knowledge into a, an app format. Um, and it's based off my research and experience and, you know, Joe's feedback as an athlete and Nick's feedback as an athlete. And um, it's taken us a year and a half and every part of my heart and soul. But, um, but yeah, we put these programs together to there's injury prevention programs, um, performance performance-based programs. We're just releasing mobility programs this week and um, it's there to help provide programs for specifically for endurance athletes. And like I said, there's the fatigue scale in there. So it modifies your weights for you. It calculates your weights for you. So we're virtually just trying to take any form of guessing game out of doing strength training. And that's a way that I think strength training should be for endurance athletes. And you know what it's like as a coach as well, Jamie, it's like, it's our job to do the brains of it. And then the athletes just have to do it. And I think that's what so many endurance athletes like is just, this is what I got to do. 
I'm just going to go and do it. And, um, and I'm, you know, I love the fact that now that's on a global platform where people can just open up their phone and know that that's a strength program for them to help them improve their performance that's specific for endurance athletes rather than a bit of a willy-nilly nothing that's not actually going to help. So, yeah, it's something we're really proud of. Um, and, uh, yeah, Blair, anyone jump online. There's um, the name of it in Joe's bio and in my bio and Insta. There's a free two-week trial so you can jump on and just test it out. It's only the first release, so I know there's so many things that we can do like we want to integrate it into training peaks and Strava and have a big log and everything but we ran out of money so <laughs> we just gave up some money first before we can make these changes um but yeah it's 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 out there now so we'd love anyone and everyone to give it a, a shot there's specific programs for triathletes runners and swimmers at the moment um and we're building on that as well no that's very exciting well done and congratulations Oh, thank you very much. Yes, my heart and soul. I call it my fourth child because I've got my two boys, Nick and the app. Uh, and actually, Joe's one of my children as well. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. <laughs> I've, got, I've got all of them. <laughs> yeah, big job. You're not getting paid enough for that, I guarantee. No, no, definitely not. But hey, we do it for the love of it. It's all good. <laughs> That's it. All right. Well, now I thought to sort of finish off and start to wrap up, we could have a bit of fun yeah. and do, you know, some some best exercises, favorite exercises, maybe build out a, a general template. So let's, um, let's be silly. Let's, can you, here you go. You might laugh at this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So can you build out like a perfect template of a mm -hmm. gym program for a triathlete? Okay. What level, what, um, what level of gym experience? They are, let's go right in the middle. So they, yep. they're doing their strength work. Mm -hmm. um, they have access to some bands. Maybe they've got some of the, the equipment that you suggested and mm -hmm. they're a um, intermediate to advanced triathlete. So sort cool. of in the middle. Okay. I would give them um, some pogos. So let's start. I'm going to give them three activation exercises because let's say they're stuck on time, which every triathlete is. So I'd give them some double leg progressing to single leg pogos. I'd give them a stiff-legged single leg RDL, Romanian deadlift and I would give them a side plank and if they could a top leg lift so three rounds of those and as a activation injury prevention and warm-up and then for the main set I would give them a smith machine deficit calf raise always single leg I would give them deadlifts but every session I would alternate the deadlifts with a rack pull so that's a half range deadlift so then you're getting a little bit more bias lats glutes with a rack pull but then you're really adding in some hammies with the deadlift so I'd alternate those every session and I would give them a front squat and I would make the heavy stuff three sets of five leaving two reps in reserve leave and three minutes rest in between and that's all I would give them Okay, awesome. So how long would you expect that to take, just for reference for people? 40 minutes. 40 minutes, cool. All yeah, right. and that would, even if they came to me and said I have an hour and a half, I'd be like, cool, go and enjoy coffee for 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> or do a swim or a bike or a run or see Yes, yes, or, that's it. Or yeah. eat and sleep, right? Yeah, maybe yes. see your family. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now let's go with three best exercises for improving swim performance. Ooh, hey, this is fun. Okay, I would give them scapular push-ups, three sets of 12. 
I would give them a really heavy lap pull down. So four sets of five lap pull down, leaving zero reps in reserve. And I would give them a bench pull, same, really heavy, four sets of five with zero reps in reserve. All right, same question for the bike. They want to improve their bike performance and ride like Joe Skipper. Ooh, don't we all? That is one thing I could not stick with him at. Um, okay, I would, if it was just for bike performance, I wouldn't give them any activation exercises. I would give them two main set exercises and all I will, no, three main set exercises. I would give them a single leg seated calf raise, a traditional deadlift. No, sorry, let me start again. Single leg seated calf raise, a hex bar deadlift and a uh, a front squat. And I would get them in the gym, give them a warm-up of each of those exercises. So just a progressive warm-up. So doing those exercises, but decreasing the reps and increasing the weights. And then the main set, four sets of five, leaving one rep in reserve. All right, you probably guessed this, but three best exercises for improving running performance. I would definitely include a Smith machine um, single leg calf raise, heavy, three sets of six, leaving zero to one rep in reserve. Pogos, if they could, I would do them single leg and I would do a deadlift. All right, cool. Now, this is one specific to the age groupers. Have you got maybe three exercises that are really good for improving posture and or combating excessive sitting or driving? Yes, I would definitely do a, I would do a face pull with an overhead press. It sounds weird, but you would attach either a band or a cable or, or stand in front of a cable machine, attach it at about head height, and then you would be pulling that band or that cable in towards your head. And as it gets towards your head, you would split the band and bring your hands apart behind your head. And I'm just explaining this because I'm not sure that anyone would know what it is. Um, and you would split your hands and then bring them behind your head. And then I would slowly control that band up up overhead and back down again and then come back to the starting position that would improve core strength and so much posture and it would be such a great all-round exercise I think for every age grouper so I would include those I would include a front rack dumbbell walking lunge and the reason being is their age group is they're stuck on time so I would want to tie in these posture exercises with some lower limb strength that would still help improve their performance and same thing, I would include a deadlift. And if you do a deadlift <clears throat> properly and you think about bringing those shoulder blades back and a nice open chest and engaging your lats, it's such a fantastic exercise for the upper body to help that posture and improve your lat strength, which will help minimize low back pain. Um, and then at the same time, you're improving your swim, bike and run performance by doing a deadie. So that would be a face, um, a face pull, um, your deadlift and a front rack reverse uh, or reverse or a front lunge. All right. And I think I know where you might go with this. So it's somewhat of a loaded question, but your favorite <laughs> core exercises, inverted commas. But do you know what? I feel like I get this rap of like Kate hates core strengthening. I love <laughs> core strengthening, okay? Core strengthening is so important for sports performance. But you know this, James. It's a strategic question. So yeah, I know that you don't. I don't know that you don't hate it, but I I wanted I wanted to know your your top three exercises, and you can explain the reasoning behind it for this one if you like. And this is very similar reasoning to everything else is your core strengthening comes from compound movements. We are so stuck on time, especially as age groupers. Do not waste time doing a plank. Do not waste time doing a sit-up. There's actually research that shows that doing a lot of isolated core exercises can increase your incidence 
incidence of low back pain. Let's not do that. So the way you want to strengthen your core is doing it in compound movements. And there are actually studies that show that you have more core activation doing a squat than a plank. So why not do that whilst you're improving performance? So in saying that, I would do a squat. If you want to make it core specific, I would do it front loaded. Um, So the weight's on the front of you. If that's a bit complex, then a back squat is also completely fine. Um, I would do a bent over row. I love bent over rows because they work upper body, um, core, lower body, glutes, hamstrings. So I would definitely do a bent over row. And I know I sound like I always go back to it, but a deadlift is a fantastic core exercise and it literally works everything in the back of you. So your upper back, lower back, glutes, hamstrings and calves. So I would put that in there as well. And if you want to do it for core, you don't have to go heavy. If you're a bit hesitant about your deadlifts, do some kettlebell deadlifts. Um, is absolutely fine. You're going to work your core muscles if you do that, even at a lighter weight. That is completely fine. If your goal is core strengthening, do it at a lighter weight. That's fine. All right. And now the maybe most inefficient or waste of time exercises, or maybe like this is like common, falls into the common mistakes type category. Have you got, you know, two or three of these ones? Yeah, my main things are um, stability exercises if you don't need them or core exercises if you're already doing compound movements. So by that, I mean generally like BOSU ball work. Um, Now, single leg work is different. That is good because you work your foot intrinsic muscles, you're working your glutes, um, like single leg movements is the best way to actually get your glutes firing. But if you're doing stuff, say, on a BOSU ball, so let's say you're doing like a BOSU ball squat, you're missing strength benefits and you're working on balance that you don't necessarily necessarily need. Now, if you are really balance impaired, or if you have an ankle injury, you know, or you're trying to work on that, then yes, it's good. But if you're doing it for performance, you don't need it. Because when we run, you're not going to fall over because of lack of balance, you don't need it, you know, Um, or if you're doing something really with a really unstable surface, say through your arm, like I was talking about before, like, you don't need that you work on that in your swim or in your bike or in your run. Um, So I'd say anything where it's really, really, throwing you off your balance too much or anything really with a BOSU ball, unless you're in specific rehab, I would say they are generally your biggest waste of time because you are not going to get any adaptations from it that are going to make a meaningful change to your performance. And then same with any really isolated exercises. So say like a sit-up. Now, if you just want to do sit-ups because you find them fun and you enjoy them, go for it. Like that's that's fine. But if you're doing it for performance improvements, it's not going to help. Um, so they would be my two main things that I would say, if you're stuck on time, don't do them. Got it. Now, I think we've got the common theme already, but I'm going to ask your favorite exercises. So Kate's favorite Ooh, strength my, exercises. Yeah. Kate's favorite strength exercises. Okay. Um, anything calf related, single leg seated calf raise or a Smith machine bent knee or always bent knee, by the way, bent knee calf exercise. Uh, deadlift is definitely one of my favorite exercises. And I love um, a hang clean. That's one that I've not really talked about. Generally with triathletes, unless they're really advanced in the gym, I actually wouldn't give them a hang clean. So a hang clean is like um, sort of like the start of what you would see with a clean and jerk movement, like in the Olympics, where you kind of standing, you got the barbell in front of you and you do like a jump and you flick it up onto the front of your shoulders. It is a fantastic 
exercise for generating power and improving upper body mobility. Um, so my personal favorite is a hang clean. But if you wouldn't feel confident with that, if you look it up and go, ooh, why does Kate like those? <laughs> Skip out the flip bit where you put the barbell up on your shoulders and turn it into what's just called a triple extension. So just the jump. And that would be a fantastic substitute for your hang clean to improve, especially running performance. That would be my other real good go-to. Right. And then do you have a least favorite exercise, but you do it anyway, because it's so valuable? <laughs> yes. There are many of those. <laughs> my least favorite, but it's so valuable. Mm, where do I begin? Many. Oh, okay. There's this one called side plank circles. So you go into virtually a side plank position on the floor, but you can bend your bottom knee a little bit more. And then with your top leg, it's extended. So your top leg is like parallel with the ground. And then you internally rotate your top leg. So that means that you point your, your toes down towards the ground. So your heel is pointing up towards the ceiling. And then you have to hold your leg parallel with the ground. And then you do circles with your whole leg for 45 seconds. That is horrendous. Anyone listening, give it a shot and then message me on Insta and tell me how much you hate it. It's horrible. It's really, really good for glute endurance. But it And, and another one where it's really good for core strength, right? So you're working glutes and core at the same time. But gosh, it sucks. That's probably my least favorite. And whenever I program them in my classes here, I just get this instant from everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that my sounds, least favorite. Yeah, that sounds familiar. I think I've done that as as part of some Pilates. Um, my uh, partner Bethany, if she listens to this, she uh, she's also a qualified Pilates instructor, and she includes that one. And during the lockdown, yeah. she did some uh, sessions for for us at Jet Coaching, um, yeah, you know, where people could do it virtually. And yet yeah, yeah. every time, and I'm on camera because we, we're filming it and obviously I'm in the same room as her. And yeah, I remember yeah. It, you just brought back memories. I'd forgotten about it because I haven't done it since. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, I know what you're talking about. Me. And yes. Yeah. You're like, oh, no, it doesn't affect me. I'm all good. But inside you're like, oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just sweating. I've done five reps and I'm just sweating profusely. Yeah, that's um, horrible. <laughs> all right. Well, that's, um, yeah, that's probably a pretty good way to end, a nice fun way to end. I've got one last que question actually, which I forgot to ask earlier. So, yes. you know, firstly, I think this, we need to find a way to make this episode go viral because I just reckon it's got, it's full of gems and it's got every everything you could want to know as an endurance athlete about strength training. So mm -hmm. that's the first thing. But the last question before we wrap up, um, say someone's sold on their strength training now, they want to do it, they want to maximize it. Um, We've already talked about being time efficient. That's been a common theme all the way through. But rather than doing, say, your two 30 to 40-minute strength sessions, could yeah. you maybe spread it out into what I like to call strength snacks and do maybe four 15-minute sessions and then just pick, you know, the exercises either from the app or from, you know, your best three series that you just did there and just spread it out that way? Is, is that still going to get the same benefits? 100%. Um, we actually have 15-minute sessions on the app, um, and this is actually supported and inspired by some research where the same research group did this both in runners and cyclists, and all that they did with this group was did four sets of four back squats in a group of very high, like national, French national level cyclists, and then same for the runners, really fast runners. And so this session 
you know, obviously warm up to it and then do that. So this session would have taken them about 15 to 20 minutes. And they did that three times a week and saw huge, like significant improvements in both cycling and running economy. So I've sort of based those 15 minute sessions off those studies um, and made it just virtually a warm up uh, into that. And that kind of stemmed from where I said with like my three favorite cycling exercises. And I said, look, I wouldn't do a warm up. I wouldn't waste my time on it. Not with cycling, like injuries are less likely in cycling. I would just go straight into the main set, do a specific warm up. So absolutely like that we've got those on the app and just nail out three even three of them a week you will still see significant improvements in your performance and that is like I like your thought of the snack size ones it's like it's also it's really easy to get your head around you go in you know exactly what you're going to do tick tick done boom gone gone like that's it I did some home ones as well um but generally if you are going to do 15 minutes having some load is better but absolutely if that's a way that you can get it in and you can get your head around it it is just as good as doing two 30 minute um sessions really yeah great I knew I was onto something so it makes me makes wow. me feel better about myself but, yeah you should you know, train about that snack size strength sessions <laughs> yeah yeah well, joke, but jokes aside, you know, it's about everyone talks about consistency, but it needs to be sustainable and you need to have that compliance. So yeah. if you can get those things right and, and that's a way to integrate it, then, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's win-win. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. It's like you said, it's just consistency. Just keep on ticking along at it and then the other thing with fitting in and making it so time achievable is you don't have to reinvent your program every session keep it simple the change that you make could literally just be increasing the weight i think that's where a lot of people go wrong they try and change up and make their strength program exciting i'm like i'm sorry but is your six hour ride on the weekend exciting no but you do that so (laughs) sometimes your strength program might be a little bit repetitive it might be a little bit boring but it meets the purpose of what it is and that's what strength training is for endurance athletes means to an and it's there to get you faster and injury proof. Unfortunately, it's not always there to be the most exciting thing, but don't worry if it's not. It just has to serve its purpose. Yeah, simplicity is the key to brilliance, as they say. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, sometimes the, sim- the simplest programs are the most effective. You don't Absolutely. actually have to do anything crazy. It's just about doing it repeatedly over over time. Exactly, exactly. Okay, now do you think we've missed anything? Is there anything yeah. else you want to touch on? I don't think so, Jamie. I think I think that was really good. I love those short questions at the end. I think that covered a lot. And I mean, if if there are a lot of questions that come through, like I'm more than happy to, you know, jump on again. And anyone have have questions, hit us up because um I love talking about it. I love trying to encourage people to do strength training. I'm sure we've missed something, but off the top of my head, I feel like that was that was a lot of info. It was great. Yeah, I think so too. So I'm going to take this opportunity to say thank you. You're clearly an expert in your field and a wealth of knowledge, but clearly there's a lot of passion there as well. So I meant it. I want to try and spread this one far and wide because I just think it's uh, an absolute gem for endurance athletes around the world. So hopefully we can get it out there to lots of um, athletes and lots of ears and get people on board with strength training, but also maximizing their time. So thanks again, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, we'll make sure we share it and people can reach out to you if they, if they have any specific questions. And if we need to do a follow-up, we can certainly do that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for for asking me on, Jamie. I've really enjoyed it. It's been great. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. If you have any questions, feedback, or ideas for future guests, please contact us via the Diary of an Age Grouper Instagram page. Alternatively, you can email info at jetcoaching.com.au. Don't forget to like, comment, share and subscribe.
This podcast was born to discuss all things age group triathlon. As an athlete, coach, and fan of the sport, I've always been intrigued with different approaches to training and how to optimize an individual's performance. We will speak to athletes who perform at a high level, as well as those with an interesting story. We will speak to coaches with a vast array of experience and also experts in various fields. We want to sift through what the physiology labs tell us, as well as what we see the pros doing and take the lessons that apply to us. This is the Diary of an Age Grouper.